So we're going back in time to last week when we should have had this message. Uh, Solace is number seven, and we skipped past it because we had some scheduling issues. The gospel message brings us a lot of hope, a lot of different directions, a lot of angles with the gospel. A lot of things happened when Christ came to bring us good news. Today's message may not be readily helpful to every person, but to those who have a healthy number of years under their belt, to those who have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, to those who have felt overwhelmed at times because of despair, waves of disappointment, grief, suffering, the gospel has good news for you. It can give you encouragement. The word that we're looking at today is solace. It's not a word we use commonly. Uh, it means a comfort or a consolation at the time of distress, an alleviation of distress or discomfort, a relief from disappointment. And Jesus says, I have to go. I got to go. After he's resurrected, it's time for me to go up to be with the Father, but I am going to leave you a comforter. And that's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, is to be someone who walks alongside of us, to give us comfort. So our guest panel today consists of four individuals who have four unique stories, but what they have in common is that they all have gone through deep waters with God. Please welcome Nadine Sands, Sheena Bartok, Brad Walbank, Rob Leggett, and their, their stories are different. Um, I've tried to pick individuals that can, I've watched them, and they've come through the valley of the shadow of death. They've had opportunities to turn their back on God and walk away, to blame Him, to be angry with Him, and they chose instead to stay faithful and watch God do an amazing work in their life. And that's what I want to talk about today, because the good news is that God is personal that God personally cares for each person, and that God is real and present in our times of trouble. You'll read a couple of scriptures uh, to kind of set the stage, and then I'm going to ask our panels to get into the discussion with me. Second Thessalonians 2.16 says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, May he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, uh, word and work. And in John 14, 16, it says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter so that you may, uh, he may be with you forever. Now this comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. This whole word is comforter, the Greek word parakletos that we translate into a comforter. It just means someone who's going to always walk with you. So let me have a seat here. We're just going to have a, a chat here. Is that okay? You guys can listen in. We're just going to just chat a little bit about life and what we've learned along the way. Um, Nadine, I forgot the, my book didn't make it out with me. My Nadine book. has written some books that describe her um, her life and uh, what she went through uh, is nothing that you'd want to wish upon anybody else. It's something that uh, is a challenge for anyone to have to go through, but I've read your books and I've watched your life and your faithfulness. Can you tell 
tell us a little bit about your story and why you fit up here so well today. Well, probably so many people in the room could fit up here because I don't think anyone um, escapes uh, grief and loss. Um, Even from an early age, we start um, experiencing um, loss and having to let go of things that we love and people that we love. Um, But cutting to the chase, um, it was uh, in March of... 2011 that my husband Mike was diagnosed with ALS, which is a terminal illness. Um, We didn't know much about it. Probably most of you have heard about it because of the ice bucket challenge that made it uh, a little bit more popular. Um, Yeah, so Mike was working two jobs as a registered nurse and he quit working the day of diagnosis um, and he began his quest to fight the effects of ALS. Um, And he made changes to his uh, diet and exercise routine. But what he needed most already existed inside of himself. And uh, that was um, an unwavering faith, a really positive attitude, a wonderful sense of humor and courage. And those things definitely developed over the course of almost four years as he fought ALS. Um, Just uh, one thing that I want to share right away is that... um, It was a very uh, challenging time in our lives, but it was also filled with um, so much joy. And um, I learned so much from Mike. Uh, One of a prayer that he prayed early on, um, after he was diagnosed, he thanked God for everything in his life, including the things uh, that he wanted and the things he didn't want, like ALS. He said that ALS would help him to rely more on God. And um, it was quite the journey, and, but that's what it came down to, relying fully on God. Thank you for sharing that. Let's um, go down the line. Sheena um, is a has been a part of our church for a while. Uh, we enjoyed getting to know her family more, but she had a tragic event recently in her life that shook her world. And, um, and all of us uh, stopped us all in our tracks. And um, Easter Sunday morning, mm-hmm. you've got some news. Yeah, so Easter, I've, I was married for 15 years. Um, and Easter Sunday morning, um, I was visited at the door um, with victim services and some police um, to hear the news that my husband had taken his life. Um, and I feel that the Lord in some way was preparing me uh, for this tragic event um, You know, in the midst of a very difficult um, marriage, um, I was losing a lot of joy and just not knowing kind of who I was anymore. And and there were times that I would admit that I, those thoughts came to my mind that I felt like I wanted to end my life. And um, I went into the library and um, the Lord placed this book in my hand and it was... uh, Reclaiming Joy, and it was written by another Christian woman. And I started reading it, actually, um, in bed nightly while my husband was still alive. And 
lo and behold, when I get to about chapter three, I realize that the lady's husband had passed away. And then I look at the cover, and then there was sort of like in a gold and silver, sort of a mixed metallic, which I didn't even see um, the day that I picked up the book, a primer for widows. And so I was saying to my husband, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I picked up this book. This lady's lost her husband. And oh, well, it's a good read anyways. I'm going to continue reading it. Um, and so Gabriel took his life uh, April last year, and it was a really, it was a test of faith because, I mean, on Easter Sunday, and a lot of the things that, I felt like I was living Jesus' story at that time, honestly, because I was feeling very persecuted by the family. It, I mean, with suicide, you can understand that it's a shock to many people, and, and there needs to be somebody to blame. There needs to be a reason mm-hmm. when it just happens abruptly. And I was kind of that person. And so there were many things that happened that it almost felt like a movie. And I couldn't believe that this was happening, and I, I felt like I kept having a vision of God walking with the cross and just being spit on and mocked and... And these were the things that I felt like I was going through, and I felt like nobody really knew the truth of what we lived except for me and my kids. Mm-hmm. And um, even still today, it's, it's traumatizing to have to go into... You don't, you don't want to justify, or you don't want to... You know, because at the end of the day, even though it was a... There were parts of the marriage that were not healthy. There were also parts of the marriage that were wonderful. I mean, God chose this gentleman for me. I heard him speak to me. I was arguing with him why I shouldn't marry my husband many years ago. And he said, this is the man he ordained for me. He took me into the book of Jeremiah. I mean, we'll get into that discussion maybe later. But I know for sure that this was the person that God wanted for me. And... um, it was just a very overwhelming time. I, I drove into church with the kids, just sort of in shock. Um, and the first person that I told was a member of the church here, actually via text, just sitting there. And as soon as the kids left to go to kids' church, that's when I kind of just felt like I could exhale and... You know, when, when that news came, I sat there and the only thing I could say was, God, I am going to church and I need you to say something to me. I need to know what you have to say to me today because I just, I don't know what to do. And, you know, it's a year and seven months into this journey and I'm still, is this real? You know, it, the, the, the grief hits in waves. I, I do miss my husband, and um, the kids are at an age where they're, you know, at a difficult age, and it's, so that, that's, the, that's the journey that I'm on now. Thank you, thank you. Rob. Yeah. You're up. Okay. How's it going? Not bad today. Yeah, Good. I've tell had me, my times. Tell me about your story. Um... Let's see. Back in uh, 2002, I had uh, I was a Christian for maybe just over a year, maybe two, um, and uh, uh, we were going through leaky condo. Um, and in September was our last month that we were going to be in our home. 
And it was also the same month on September 11th when uh, I found out that my marriage was coming to an end. So uh, my daughter, who was almost eight years old at the time, uh, her birthday was coming up as well. And uh, so I had to deal with the sudden realization that everything I had was no longer really mine. So, including the time with my daughter and uh, um, coming to the church and I was involved in some ministry and uh, the first person I told was uh, Dan uh, because he and I were working together with Alpha and um, I realized that I wasn't able to still do my ministry work because of where I was at emotionally and uh, uh, all the anger and the you know, as, as you were saying, that the, the shared, those emotions and they come in waves. And uh, I thought I was doing fine, and then I wasn't. And uh, so I wasn't able to do Alpha. I wasn't able to do anything other than try to focus on whatever it is I had. Um, and I leaned on trying to understand where I was with God. Um, you know, being a relatively new Christian, I was. I thought I was firm in my growth. Um, but uh, I started questioning whether or not I was even a Christian, that uh, whether I would fit. Um, I felt like I was um, um, not judged. I certainly didn't feel judged by the church. In fact, there were some people that really came along, and as much as I kept my distance from them, I uh, didn't... Um, there were some individuals that were just so loving and caring and welcomed me into their home and encouraged me to stay strong in my faith. And... Uh, um, the accountability started, um, when I say that, uh, it was just a timing issue. Um, this was in September. In November, we were down in the States, a group of men uh, from the men's ministry. We did a Promise Keepers event. And uh, I think there was about 300 men that came forward and committed their lives to going into accountability. And when we came back to this church, there was a group of us, four men, that uh, we stayed. Uh, we got together in our accountability, and I leaned on them in every emotion and feeling and thought that I had. And uh, they kept me strong and, you know, where my will and my anger led me to places and my fear of what was going to be happening with my daughter and my relationship with her um, was uh, a deep struggle. And uh, I just poured into these men. And uh, I'm so thankful for them and, you know, different men have come and gone in my life, but I still continue with accountability even today. Just to stay strong and know that uh, you know there is hope, there is a knowledge that uh, God does carry carry us through this stuff. And as much as I went through a lot of darkness, I look back now and see the great benefits. I'm I've now married again and uh, I'm blessed with uh, the opportunity to work together in ministry <laughs> in ministry now uh, with divorce care, where now we give back and care for people that. Mm-hmm. went through what I did. Yeah. We'll get into the where are you now in a couple of minutes, but I appreciate the, the story because um, there's a lot of people that can relate to that. Brad, you've, you have a different kind of a story that um, yeah. also you don't want to wish on anybody. Well, like Sheena, it was a sudden event that happened. Um, Deanna and I were married um, uh, August 1981. And in May of 1983, we had our firstborn child. Couldn't have been happier. Well, a son. And two months 
Two months and 26 days later, he died of crib death, sudden infant death syndrome. And it was, it was a terrible, terrible shock, very um, sudden. You never see things like that coming, every parent's nightmare. And, um, uh, we came back from the hospital after, you know, he was pronounced dead, etc. We went back and, and, uh, you know, what do you, what do you do? Like, we're just tied up in knots at home and, and, uh, and, uh, Deanna's dad he gave us a scripture, it's Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin and everything can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where there is no vermin and moths to destroy, where thieves don't break in. It says, for where your, heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that, with the support of family, has been how we've gotten through that event and other things that have gone in and in our heart. That's 40 years ago, and as you can see, it's mm -hmm. still close to the surface, so to speak. I'd like to say that, you know, there'd be times when I would not even remotely think about that moment. On a day like today, a little bit more, but it's still close to you. But God's always reminded us of his love and care for us. Even in the midst of that, uh, Deanna rededicated her life. Not that she was a bad person or anything. I was the person who was a bit more of a problem. But she rededicated her life. And... From that point on, you know, it's, it's, it's been a blessing. We have five kids, 10 grandkids, pretty blessed. And here I thought I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> <coughs> Thank you, bro. <laughs> but those, those emotions, they come out every once in a while. They don't come out all the time, and there's lots of times I'm able to talk to this yesterday, talking at Alpha about it. I was able to, you know, talk to a group of people, kind of like you all, and, and just share God's grace in the middle of this. And his word and various different scriptures have become very, very real to Deanna and I throughout the years that we clung to. Mm -hmm. so. There's lots of types of loss in our lives. Sometimes it's a job that we suddenly get dropped from. We're downsized and now we've got to go on EI and figure out the rest of what's going to happen in our career. There's, um, there's other losses that we have to face um, with relationships and family and different things. Um, tell me, how did you experience God's presence during this time of loss? How did he reveal himself as the comforter or the... the um, Heraclete, the one who comes alongside. Did you ever feel alone, or did you ever really feel a, uh, a real sense of his tangible presence in your, in your deepest 
moments. I anyway. had a moment where I kind of shook my fist and said, what do you think you're doing? Not that I felt alone. It was more I was pretty confused. Never doubted the presence of God. Just that in that moment, it was like, why? Had lots of why moments. I think that struggling with that a little bit, wrestling with that a little bit, has been able to help Deanna and I um, with our faith as we've gone. But yeah, I, I've had a few moments with God. Told him a thing or two. You, you found out he can handle your honesty? <clears throat> I found that he can. I found that he can. The greatest, the greatest solace that Deanna and I had, aside from God and his spirit and his word, has been family. And family are kind of pressed into the moment. It's very intentional that our family came alongside of us. So Deanna's, uh, my sister and her brothers and sisters, they were there for us the whole time. So that was helpful. Mm -hmm. Someone else, when did you feel the sense of God's real presence? Um, in the times where it was... A, it was it was my own doing. I was kind of pushing God out and everybody else out of my life um, at the time when I was really struggling. And uh, I found uh, rather than that solitude, I was isolating. Um, so uh, to me, it felt like the only thing I could do. Um, just I, As I said, it was in one month, we leaky condo, so we were, I was out of the house and into something else three weeks afterwards. Um, and uh, it was just a basement suite in the dark, and I often would just find myself just staying there privately, quietly, and on my own. Uh, all the lights were off. I didn't want anyone to know I was home, and uh, I would just stay there. But uh, in those times, I did feel comfort, even though I was pushing God out. Um, I know that uh, there was people that uh, wanted to connect with me and to remind me, and when I finally gave those opportunities, um, I could find through more through the love of God through the um, church congregation, the people that drew close to me. Um, there's a number of you still out there right now that were there and uh, uh, reminded me that uh, God can love me despite my brokenness. Um, as Brad was saying, you know, the, with family, um, I didn't really have family anymore to lean on. Um, most of my immediate family was either apart or moving, living somewhere else. And um, so the loneliness was very easy to crawl into, but uh, uh, people were able to speak into my life and uh, uh, help me to know that, um, you know, despite some scripture that I misunderstood, like Malachi, uh, where God hates divorce, I deem that as being God hates me. So I know that that's not the case now. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I felt God's comfort, actually, through my journals. Um, just going back, because, you know, I, couldn't ha I didn't have the words to really pray. Um, my prayer was just a hot mess of asking how could this happen? Why would he have allowed the shame of, of such an end? Um, sort of going to him um, um, with the, a lot of the toxicity of the relationship falling before him, saying, like, you know, how did, 
we make such a mess of something that he had ordained. So the, I felt God's comfort through my past prayers, my past uh, fasting prayer points, seeing how much I had been praying for my husband, seeing how much I had been praying for my marriage. Um, and then that felt God's presence kind of resting upon me, um, letting me know that I was there and you've been with me and it kind of reaffirmed my faith um, to let me know that this wasn't, um, you know, like how Job's friends were there and it's like, you, d you must have done something wrong for this to happen or I felt like through my prayers and everything, God was saying, no, this is just the story that I have for you and we're going to come through this and go back and see that You've always included me in this union. And um, so, yeah, it was just the word and past prayers made me feel God's presence at that moment. I also um, started writing and found a lot of um, comfort and peace in my writing. Thanks for mentioning my books and thanks for endorsing my <laughs> books. <laughs> really appreciated that. Um, <clears throat> also, family was a big, big part of it. We just, we're close and we're tight knit, we're small, but we're, we're uh, mighty. And uh, so that uh, was, was huge for us. Um, but Mike and I were already in the habit of praying together. Um, before he was diagnosed with ALS, but he worked two jobs. We were very busy. I was working with we three children, getting them where they needed to go and all of those things like most people experience. Um, but when he quit his working... <clears throat> Sorry, I've got this frog in my throat. When he quit working, the day he was diagnosed, um, you know, that we all of a sudden had all this amazing, this glorious time to spend together and to pray. And so we just prayed and prayed um, and, and read the Bible. And, um, and that's how we heard from God. And I'm going to go back to my notes because we're talking about um, how we experienced his presence. <clears throat> and, you know, over the thing about our praying, you know, at first it was so much about um, a miraculous healing you know, we pressed in for that miraculous healing. But quickly, you know, um, it became more about um, just trusting uh, what God had for us, the journey that he had us on, and relying on him um, and getting to know him better. And, um, and so that's how we experienced his presence. There's so much more to say, but I'll, I'll say that. I, um, <clears throat> I know that God's people don't always get it right, and we don't always know what to say in a time of uh, crisis or trauma. Uh, we try our best, or sometimes a lot of people just say nothing because they're just afraid to say the wrong thing. Um, how did people come alongside you? What was the most significant way people did come alongside of you to encourage you during this difficult time? Okay. Um, from my experience and what I've been witnessing now in, like through the divorce ministry is that um, many people want to try to help see you f quickly heal move on, forget about the past you can't change it, let's just you know, start over and be happy um, 
extremely unhelpful. Um, It's for me um, because my grief continued. I mean, nobody, no person died, but a family and a life and hopes and dreams did. And uh, so to have the people that can speak into my life and remind me that um, I'm not alone, that, you know, there's just to listen and to have somebody just understand. I did not know anybody at the time that had gone through a divorce that I could relate with and um, find comfort in. Um, But God's people, God can use people in their gifting and their uh, understanding to connect and share and just be listening people. And, uh, and I am so grateful. As I said, you know, for Deanna and I, it was family. And for many people who are listening in today, you know, you've attended a funeral. And for us, our healing started actually at the funeral. And it was a very difficult time. I mean, if you can imagine the pastor who had married Deanna and I now have to do a funeral for you know, two of the people that are barely out of their teens. I was 22, Deanna was 20. She actually had Jason when he was, when she was 19. And I wrote down what he said, and it's, it's easier for me just to read it. It says, the pastor explained her son's death and trip to heaven to be like when a young child running around and playing outdoors all day then finishes the day by falling asleep watching TV in their own clothes. Everybody's had this moment. The next morning, the child wakes up in their own bed and in their own pajamas. The child never felt the strong arms of the parent carefully carrying them to their own special bed. They couldn't explain how they got from one place to another, nor could they explain how they were in one set of dirty clothes and woke up in clean pajamas. All the child knows is it happened while he was asleep. He moved from one safe place to another, and he never felt a thing. And that was very comforting to Deanna. And so we had a fairly large funeral. We had a lot of non-Christian friends. And after the funeral, they'd come up and said, wow, that was comforting. Because how do you, how do you say something comfortable about a baby dying? And inexplicably. And so that was when we started to heal. And then through other people within our church, you know, people come up and, unfortunately, and we want to say the right thing. We always do. We want to come up to the person, I made a difference. I said something really comforting to them. And a lot of people, they, they struggle with what to say. The greatest thing that you can give to somebody who has a moment of solace is to just hug them. Just sit beside them. You don't have to say a word. You just... Be present with them. Hugely important. But our, our healing started at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to talk about that, the hugs. Mm-hmm. The hugs were really important. And for those that weren't really close to me or whatever, even just the squeezing of the hand, you know, with no words, a lot of the elderly women in this church did that for me. And that was so amazing. Um, the meals, the church just like, oh my goodness. I mean, I had family from overseas at my house and we had a drawer full of gift cards for meals because I just 
couldn't even think about grocery shopping or what to, you know, and it was just, it just felt so easy, like, just go to the drawer and order something, and um, so, yeah, that was, that was really amazing, and, you know, I like to say that the, sometimes the scriptures, we, you know, the, the scriptures at that moment sometimes can be cliche, it can land wrong, you know, so... You could say it over the person in prayer sometimes if you do have the scripture for that moment, but sometimes people don't always want to hear it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just attending, we call it in nursing, attending, being present, leaning in, leaning forward, eye contact, body posture, that, that really helps. <laughs> My sister was diagnosed with cancer at 16 years old, and a well-meaning person came up to me and said, um, you know, all things work together for good, going, mm-hmm. shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need to hear that right now, you know, and uh, it didn't help. And I, I know they meant well, but... You just you want the hug more than you want advice, mm-hmm. I think. Nadine, how were people helpful to you? Um, well, um, I'm going to just share about when it was time for us to move. <laughs> Sorry, I get choked up. Move out of our family home when Mike couldn't handle the stairs anymore. He was losing his ability to walk. And um, I'm going to refer to my notes. You know, I love that home and assumed we'd live there until we were old. It was such a sad time. But moving in with my sister Ilana and brother-in-law Peter and their children was a huge blessing. They showed us um, so much love and helped us in so many ways. Our space in their ground-level basement was often filled with family. Our children, who were grown, but they were there all the time, and our granddaughter and um, Ilana and my parents, and, um, and Mike's uh, couple of sisters and mom would come and go as well. It was a place of laughter and fun. So even though we were grieving every stage of the illness, and now we've just left this home that I loved um, and that I still miss, um, it, was, it was such a special time um, <clears throat> in, in the most difficult season of our lives. And when I look back on that time, I see God's feathers covering us. And I just love that scripture, Psalm 91, 4, that says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Um, But about the hugs, um, the day of Mike's um, memorial services, celebration of life. The church was packed. This was at Mayport Baptist Church. It was just packed. And I remember just walking out first, of course, with the family and looking back and the crowd that came toward me. And not a lot of words were said, just a lot of hugs. And I just felt like I received just hundreds of hugs that um, brought so much comfort, but also about the gift cards and the mo- the money and the meals and stuff like that. Mike and I actually were kind of overwhelmed, and it was my sister who who sat me down one day and said, "You know, you just have to receive graciously, so that those people can receive the blessing." Um, and the joy of giving and helping, even though they don't know how to help, and maybe giving you something that you don't necessarily need, um, is their way of helping and their way of reaching out and showing love. And um, so I learned a lot from that, and we just became so humble 
and we graciously accepted all the gifts and the love and um, the love of the fam- of family and friends, but also God's love pouring through their actions was amazing. I find that God's solace and His presence often comes through His people, and also through the prayers. When you don't have a physical person there, but they're praying for you, you can still feel the presence of God and feel like uh, you're you're. You're wrapped around uh, with God's arms in those moments when you're alone. I know that uh, as a pastor, I've heard that the toughest time is two weeks after the funeral. Everybody's gone home. All the flowers have died, and you've thrown them away, and uh, you're kind of left uh, with the rest of your life. And um, those are the times I, I like to make the phone call and stop by because I know everyone else has said their thing, and I once asked a, a woman whose husband died of a heart attack quickly, what's, what's the hardest part for you? And she said, about 2 o'clock in the morning when I roll over and I put my arm on the other side of the bed and no one's there. And I thought, maybe I should just call her at 2 in the morning once in a while <laughs> to see how things are going. But it's those moments later on. And, and I found that often what we go through, God can take and use as a blessing for others. And our stories can encourage others in their dark times. Would there be, uh, I, I, I'm come, I'll come back to that question, but can you tell me just briefly one scripture, scripture passage that really stood out for you that maybe you could cling on to or you held on to as an anchor during this time? Was there any particular verse that really stood out to you that God gave to you? Um, one for my, if, uh, when Mike was diagnosed <clears throat> early on, Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, and then throughout we clung to this one. Uh, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them, them all and will last forever. So we don't fix our, tr- uh, we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things we cannot see, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but mm. the things we cannot see will last forever. Wow. Thank you. Someone else? For me, it was in two parts. Um, with the journey, the first, when the family all left, um, I went to the, the women's retreat um, because I was like, they're going to leave, and what am I going to do? And you know, so I went to the women's retreat, and the preach, the 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 sermon, and all the teaching on that was um, one scripture that really made me be felt seen by God. They were talking about the story of Nabal and and his wife Abigail and David, and I don't know if you know that so- story. It's in First Samuel chapter 25, when David and his men are hiding in the cave, and then he needs food, and he goes to Nabal's um, family to, to get food, and because he's really protecting uh, their, their land, whatever's going on at the time. Um, because David and his men were there, they were being protected, and, and Nabal would not give him food. And when one of the servant girls went to the wife and said, hey, David and his men are going to come and, like, kill my husband, kill your husband and all, everyone. Um, this was what, um, this was what happened. It says, like, basically in 25, 1 Samuel 25, um, chapter 23, where it begins, 
It says, um, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. So at that time, it was God saw me. And the whole story was that Abigail was the only one in that family that was strong enough to take the blame for what was about to happen. And so it made me see that God saw my strength and that at the end he would end up blessing me for it. So it wasn't a great word of, I will be with you or anything, but I just felt like he saw my hurt and he validated what I was feeling. And then segue to that at the end after the year when there was another women's retreat and I go to that again, I got an amazing word from God in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, uh, starting kind of in the middle of chapter 4. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief, as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says the Lord. So the words of comfort from God were words that he was affirming my feelings. Thank you, thank you. Gentlemen? Yeah. Um, in my seeking of comfort to know that God was willing to accept me and um, that I could still be loved in my situation, um, I did pour into the um, various scriptures that uh, spoke about um, divorce and broken relationships and, you know, the, the two things that God would honor. But there was so much more in the Bible when you read it in the context and the character of God. Um, and so, you know, 1 Corinthians 7 was a primary part. Uh, chapters in Matthew 5 and 19 that speak of divorce and, you know, what is right and where you need to possibly consider, you know. Um, I didn't want to cross God's will, so I kind of held on to the promises of God, and in particular in the book of Joel, chapter 2, uh, where he says he will um, restore what the locusts have eaten, uh, restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So I, I held on to that promise that, you know, despite all the loss that I was going through, and, you know, after that, there's still more like financial and other things in the family. But um, I just held on that God would um, mm. restore the love and the trust that I could have again. I love how God takes his word and applies it to so many different situations in different ways. That's great. Second Corinthians 5 eight. It's a very short, very succinct, and you hear this a lot at funerals. It's absent from the body, present with the Lord. And for us, that was our comfort, that Jesus is holding our baby, and he's present there. That was very comforting for Deanna and I. My last question would be, how has God used your story to be a blessing or an encouragement to other people? Have you had that opportunity? Besides the millions of people that have read your book. <laughs> the millions? Oh, I love you. <laughs> One author to another. <laughs> we like to think that way, right? Um, well, when Mike was um, 
first diagnosed with ALS, I, the idea just to start writing a, a blog came to me. And I thought, well, this is a perfect idea because people want to know what's happening in our lives and this um, illness progresses, can progress, not for everybody, but it pro was progressing fairly quickly. So it kind of saved me time. I could inform friends and family of Mike's, um, where, where he was at with the illness. And it became like, uh, um, like, a, like therapy for me. And from what I heard from others, it became like a ministry as well. So, um, you know, we met other people with ALS through the blog, that found the blog, and other people going through difficult situations. And um, they would reach out and share their stories, and we'd pray for each other. And so I would say that's a, that's a big, big, one big way that God has used it in mm. my life. Someone else. Okay, sure. Um, in the loss in the, the several years that I was struggling with this, um, I, I felt this calling, and um, uh, Pastor Neil um, had uh, spoken to me with regards to, um, you know, this was following when I had gotten married. I, I didn't know if I would ever, ever even want to marry again or be in that position to trust somebody. Um, and my circumstances to meet my wife were <laughs> quite special, but um, uh, to discover that I can live again and enjoy um, sharing a life and to be able to uh, go into ministry together because both my wife and I have experienced um, divorce from past marriages. And uh, so to be able to serve together to speak into the lives of others has been an extreme blessing. I still don't know the answer to that question. How is God using this? Um, I'm still trying to heal, and um, I don't really know how to... I mean, I know there's a story in my life, and I know that there's a huge testimony, and I know that there are women who have gone through things like what I went through, and... I, you know, it's so hard in, in today's day, day and age, you know, to, um, I'm very charismatic, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm an extrovert, I love talking to people, and I see people on the computer, on social media, being a blessing and doing things, but I always feel hesitant, I, I feel called to do something like that even before my husband passed away, maybe to a different capacity, but I, I just don't know yet what that will look like. And, um, you know, I, I write songs and stuff like that, and I write poetry, and I love writing, and I just haven't been able to figure out yet mm -hmm. um, what that's going to look like. I think you give an example of what it means to be a godly mom, trying your best, doing a great job, being strong, um, that you have a positive attitude, that you go deep into your relationship with God and people admire that when they see you standing strong and believing in what God is doing in and through you. You're an example of steadfastness uh, to so many people. Um, but it's, it's, it is a story that we hope is very unique, that we don't hear a lot of these kinds of stories. But being strong in the midst of it and 
not losing your faith, trusting that God has a, a future for you. Your story is not done. You're kind of in the middle of your story. You're just at the beginning. It's just the beginning. So there's so much more of your story yet to come that I think we'll be able to celebrate with you in the days ahead for sure. I, I think for, for myself personally, um, it's kind of proved out to be that, you know, you can still be a man and cry in front of your <laughs> church, but you can have those emotions and you can have those waves of emotions for a period of time and it's okay. It's okay to hurt. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've come to realize is that that was a season in our life and we got through it and that's my encouragement to others and that I may not be able to speak to a lot of people that have had that exact sudden infant death syndrome death, but I can encourage people who've had a sudden loss in their life that you will get through this. Those 2 a.m. moments, you will have. And it's okay to cry. And it's okay to be emotional. But you will get through it with the help of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will make it through it. Will you all give them a hand of uh, appreciation for their talk?